Let's start off by turning to Colossians chapter 1 and verse 20, 24, sorry. Colossians 1 and verse 24. In this portion of Scripture, Paul uh, is um, is uh, speaking to the church here in Colossae. That was a Gentile church. He says, verse 24, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. So he's talking about the church, the body of Christ his ministry in serving that body, verse 24, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. What is that mystery? What is he talking about? Verse 27, to them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is a mystery to the world, even to this day. You know, this is a missing ingredient, brethren, that if we don't have all of our efforts to change and grow and overcome, we'll be frustrated. We'll be banging our heads against the wall, and we won't know why. And this is what Paul brought out. So, brethren, let me ask you a question. Would you like to have more of Christ's mind? Would you like to have more of the mind of Christ? We're talking about... Jesus Christ living in us, the hope of glory. If so, how do you have more? Let's turn over to John chapter 6 and verse 63. John 6 and verse 63. This is a familiar passage. We'll just... Drop light right into the middle of the context here. Jesus talking. And he says, verse 63, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are Spirit and they are life. What a profound statement. And it's easy to overlook that and not really sort of grasp the, the enormity of what he's saying. What does that mean? The words are spirit and they are life. Does it mean all I have to do is just read the words of Christ and presto, changeo, it makes me different? No matter what my attitude is, no matter what my actions are? Well, I think we know there's more to it. What does it mean? Go back a little bit to verse 54. And we read, he also said, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood, has eternal life. And I will raise him up at the last day, for my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. So the same topic, Christ living in us. He says, verse 57, As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. We want Christ to live in us, and through his Spirit, he does that. But he said we have to feed on him. There's a part we have to play. And certainly that means reading these words, the expression of God's thoughts. The Bible is the the mind of God in print, as we've heard so many times. But, you know, we could just hurriedly read the Bible and hurriedly pray to God and think, I'm done. Check that off my list. I've done my job. I've put the words of Christ in my mind without really thinking about what we're doing. But we want more than that. We need more than that. Notice 
Psalm 119. I think uh, turning to some of the words of David help us to have a, a sense of really what we're after. Psalm 119, 147. Psalm 119 and 1, verse 147. David, such a unusually powerful example of having a, a relationship with God and walking with God and understanding what it means to know God and come to know God. Psalm 119, 147. David writes, I rise before the dawning of the morning and cry for help. I hope in your word. My eyes are awake through the night watches that I may meditate on your word. You know, the word meditate is gives us the, the concept of something much different than just hurriedly reading over the words, just hurriedly looking at the characters on the page. It really has a sense of pondering and thinking and letting those words sink in and letting the, the, the ideas and the concepts that the creator, the being who said those words, is trying to get across to us. And David was meditating on those words. Notice in Psalm 63 and verse 6. 63 and verse verse 6. Another sort of angle here. Psalm 63 and verse 6, David writes again, When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you. I meditate on you in the night watches because you have been my help. Therefore, in the shadow of your wings, I will rejoice. My soul follows close behind you. Your right hand upholds me. So David meditated on God's word. He meditated on God. He, he took the time to think deeply about the being, the person who had written, who had spoken who had conveyed those thoughts and those words, and ponder what he was doing. What is that being doing? How is he thinking? Uh, what are his thoughts? Even at that very moment when David was, was, was saying this, was writing it, was thinking it, David wanted to be as close to God as possible. So brethren, as we seek to have Christ's mind in us, what does that mean? Is it just words? Is it just sort of a slogan? Or are we meditating to understand Christ's mind and think about how he thinks and let that change how we think? I'd like to talk about that today because, you see, again, we can pray for God's mind. We can even read about God's mind. And if we're not careful, it's just another thing we check off and we hurriedly go on to the next thing and we don't really stop and think, what are we even reading? And who are we actually talking to? If you'd like a title, this is my title today, Meditate on the Mind of Christ. Meditate on the mind of Christ. And as we go today, perhaps uh, we will meditate a little bit. We'll, we'll talk a little bit and think a little bit about several areas on how Christ's mind works when, as we are striving, wanting, asking God to have that mind put in us. So let's talk about several aspects of our life. Let's start with peace. Start with peace, number one. Would you like to have more peace in your life? And when I say peace, I mean peace of mind, inner peace, a sense of peace, settledness in your life, as opposed to being in turmoil and frustrated and anxious. Would you like to have more peace in your life? I think all of us would like to. Uh, to one degree or another, we live in a stressed-out world. We can get frazzled and overwhelmed ourselves. It's very easy to happen. When I was a kid, I, I tended to be a worrier, and I stressed about things. And I can still remember one night laying in bed, 
And uh, <clears throat> my brothers were asleep. We all shared one room. I was on the top bunk. And um, I was worrying about a speech I had the next day, a book report. I was in fifth grade, about ten years old. And I remember that night like it was last night. Because I was lying on that top bunk. I was looking out the window. It was a beautiful night, actually. The, the, the moon was full. It was shining through the window. And I was absolutely terrified about the book report that I was giving the next day. Isn't it a little bit ironic that I'm telling you about this experience as we talk like this, you know? <clears throat> but I was terribly frightened. I survived my book report, but that was a stressful time in my life, and I don't, I can remember it like it was yesterday. You know, it's, I think it's helpful even as we grow older to remember that our children get stressed out. Our children have fears. They have worries. To not belittle those worries or those fears, they're very real. And we can help them through those things. I also remember sometime later that year, still fifth grade, I had a friend in, in my class, and uh, we were talking one time. He had a sister who was graduating that year, graduating senior in high school, I had a, a sister who was also graduating that year. And for some reason, we were talking about our sisters. I can't remember why, but it, it, it was... The, I remember the shift in my thinking. I remember thinking, well, someday, maybe I will be a graduating senior. And you know what? Someday, maybe I won't worry about the things I'm worrying about now because I'll be big. I'll be a senior. I'll be grown up. I'll be different. And you know, just even that one little thought, visualizing a time in my life when maybe things would be different, it actually was really encouraging to the, the fears that I was facing as a 10-year-old in fifth grade. And sure enough, when I got to be at graduation six years later, seven years later, whatever, you know, I didn't think about those fears I had as a 10-year-old anymore. Sure enough, it happened. Now, I had new and different worries, you know, as you get older, <coughs> as, is, as happens. But I think it's helpful for us sometimes to meditate and get our minds on how things could be different, how things might be different when we're suffering, when we're struggling, and actually project ourselves to a future time when that thing won't be going on any longer. John chapter 14 and verse 25. Let's turn over there. John chapter 14 and verse, verse 25. Jesus uh, gave some very powerful, powerful instruction just before he died, before he was arrested, betrayed, arrested, beaten, crucified, and yet the instruction that he gave just before that is so powerful and so meaningful and so important. John chapter 14 and verse, verse 25, what are some of the things he said? Well, he talked about peace here. He said, verse 25, These things I have spoken to you while being present with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So brethren, would you like more peace? Well, let me rephrase that. Because we don't need more peace, we need a different peace. We need a better peace. We don't need more human peace. Yes, there is a certain amount of, let's say, even in the human realm, even in the world, even those who don't know God, there is a certain amount of peace that they can attain to just through experience, just through living life, just through learning 
from others, but there's a wall at a certain point, isn't there? And there's a certain point where we need not just more human peace, but we need Christ's peace in us to really have the peace that we need. We have Christ's mind. We have God's spirit. We have the mind of Christ. We read that. We understand that. At baptism, we're... We have hands laid on us. But we don't fully yet have God's mind, do we? We don't fully yet have Christ's mind. And so sometimes we get worried. Sometimes we get stressed and afraid. And it can be difficult. I think it's helpful for us to think about the words feeding on Christ and to visualize what that really means, brethren. To visualize what it means to have Christ's Mind, You know, he was facing the most difficult trial of his life. And yet, try to picture this moment when he was talking to his disciples. Try to look at that moment through his eyes. Imagine it just for a moment. Meditate on that just for a second. Try to picture that. Can you sense the deep calm that he had to be able to say these things to his disciples? Now, I know the first thing you're going to say is, well, in Luke, it says he prayed and he was under such intense pressure that, that his sweat on his forehead, the blood vessels broke and, and great drops of blood were coming down. Yes, absolutely. He was under tremendous pressure. He was under tremendous stress. But at the same time, how could you possibly say the things he said here? as he was telling his, talking to his disciples, without having a deep sense of peace, without having a deep sense of, of calm, tranquility. He wasn't panicking. You know, I, I think if most of us would have been in this situation, we would have absolutely been panicking at this point, knowing what was coming just a few hours later. There was no panic in him. Take a moment to just think about that and think about that's the mind we have access to brethren how will it feel when we really fully think like god what kind of peace will we have visualize that peace when you have it and it can actually even give us a little bit more peace right now even when we're struggling i remember hitting a a point in my life, uh, this time around the time I was baptized, maybe a little before uh, or so, but I started thinking about this in relation to God. I was still a warrior. I didn't change. I just worried about different things, you know, as a, as a young adult. And um, I remember thinking at that point, wow, won't it be amazing and incredible and wonderful when I have God's mind? Because I don't think he's sitting around worrying up there in the third heaven. I don't think he's stressing. I don't think he's frenetic. Yes, he has problems he's working out. Yes, he is dealing with issues. But I don't think he's stressed out. And that was so encouraging to me. Even to imagine what will it be like to have his mind. And I can have a little bit of that when I'm baptized. And that can grow and that can develop. Brethren, we can have not just more peace, but a different peace, the actual peace of God. John 16, verse 33, he said, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. There's a peace on a totally different level when we have God's peace. Was he just joking? Was Christ just telling stories? Was he just trying to say something that would encourage them? So they wouldn't think, you know, be scared? Or was he telling the truth? Did he mean what he said? And can we have that kind of peace? Philippians chapter 4 and verse verse 6. Let's turn over there. Philippians chapter 4. Uh, we were there a moment ago in the, in the sermonette. We'll turn there again. Philippians 4 and verse 6. Paul writes, Be anxious for nothing. Uh, remember, he was writing this from what? From prison? He was writing this from prison? 
and he wrote these amazing words. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. I love this verse because, you know, sometimes our problems are so wide, so big, so intractable, have been going on so long, and have no end in sight. Maybe health issues, maybe financial problems or personal problems. And they're not going away anytime soon. Some problems you can't fix. Some problems you can only manage. And Paul says there's a peace of God that is beyond understanding. It's beyond logic. It's beyond just thinking ourselves out of the problem. And we can tap into that peace. You need the mind of Christ, not the mind of Rod. Or the mind of, put your name in there. We need the mind of Christ to have that kind of peace. Imagine what it will be like to have Christ's mind in fullness. And maybe we need to meditate on that from time to time. Just think about that. And really let it soak in. Because, brethren, that is what we have access to. And that is where we're going. And that is what we can have to a little degree right now. And it can help us through the things that we face. That's the type of mind we are getting. We are in the process of getting. And we can have that peace now, even to a a smaller degree, yes. But it's coming in fullness. And that in itself is so encouraging. Let's examine another area of Christ's mind we need. Again, we might say developing Christ's mind, but that doesn't really describe it best because it, it then it sounds like something we build, something that we construct, something we work up to. And, you know, if we're just good enough, then, then we will develop this. And that's not what we're talking about. It's something that we have to take on. It's something different that's external that we don't have naturally. And that, of course has to be Christ's mind in us. So the second area of Christ's mind, let's talk about number two, is joy. Joy. Would you like to have more joy in your life, brethren? Well, let's, let me rephrase that. Actually, not more joy, but a better joy. A different joy. Not just more human joy stacked up, but a different joy. Christ's joy in us. Notice another count here from when Christ was on this earth. John chapter 16 and verse 11. John 16 and verse 11. Jesus, more things that he told his disciples. John 16 and verse Verse 11, I'm sorry, 15 and verse 11. John 15 and verse 11. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Wow. Now again, put yourself in the moment of what Christ was going through at that moment. He was not going through a very joyful time, was he? But look at that moment through through his eyes. Try to imagine being there and seeing the disciples and and experiencing what was happening. And try to look at it through Jesus' eyes, what he was experiencing at that moment and knowing what was coming. And yes, a lot of pain and a lot of trauma was coming. But what was he thinking about? And what was he telling his disciples about? He was telling them about joy. And he was saying, you can have my joy. And I want you to have my joy to the full. What was his joy at that moment? You know, when you think in the big picture, he was almost finished with his ministry. He was almost done with the part that was the most important up to that time. For him to accomplish for all of his brothers and sisters 
all of us to ultimately have a chance to be in his family. He was almost there. It was just a few paces away, you might say. His ministry was almost completed. And he had such a big picture about why he was going through this. And that was the joy that permeated his whole being. John chapter 16 and verse 22. He told the disciples, Therefore you now have sorrow, talking about how he would go away, and they were beginning to partly get the picture, not fully, but partly. And he said, But I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and no, your joy no one will take from you. And in that day you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you'll receive that your joy may be full. And then he compares it with the joy of childbirth. A little bit before that, he talks about how a woman in childbirth is going through extreme difficulty, this intense difficulty, and yet it flips as soon as that child is born, and you have this intense, incredible experience of seeing a new life, and the joy there unspeakable. Jesus was talking about joy that is incomprehensible considering what he was going through. Humanly impossible. But that was his mind. And that can give us encouragement when when we are going through difficulties because we can tap into his joy. He said, this is for us. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. We can tap into it because we have the mind of Christ. That's the mystery, Christ in us. That's what Paul was telling the church in Colossae. That's the mystery. That's what the world doesn't get. Yes, some of them believe in Jesus. Some of them obey God to the degree they understand. And their lives are changed, blessed to the degree that they obey God. But this is something, brethren, totally on a different level when Christ is actually living in us. Hebrews 12, verse 1, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus had a deep sense of why he was there, and it gave him joy about the future, about what he was doing and why. You know, sometimes when we get discouraged, I think we, sometimes it's because we forget why we're here. We forget what we're about. And in the human realm, what does joy most often relate to? Well, are we having fun? Are we having an adrenaline spike? Are we having a dopamine surge? You know, those are the the things that tell us whether or not we're having joy. Uh, Are we pain-free? Um, Are we not suffering any discomfort? You know, if all is going well, if we are feeling good, if our family members are all well, you know, we, we have joy. Our society, I think especially American society, I think is obsessed with not being uncomfortable, wouldn't you say? I mean, we, we do everything possible to make our environment as comfortable as possible in every possible way. You almost get the sense that the purpose of life more and more as time goes on, as we are living in the end of the the age at this time, the purpose of life in Western civilization is to avoid discomfort. And brethren, that is not the purpose of life for us, is it? The problem with that line of reasoning is If we live only to avoid discomfort, 
our comfort zone gets smaller and smaller and smaller. You know, we talk about comfort zone. We talk about sort of the area in which we are comfortable operating. And if if we are get to the edge of our comfort zone, and every time we get to the edge of our comfort zone, we pull back. Maybe it's a, a difficult conversation with someone. Maybe it's a, a, a something that we know we have to face, but we, we don't want to. We, we aren't willing to. We pull back. We don't go there. And we pull back. The, the irony is, as we pull back, our comfort zone actually gets smaller. And if we live our lives that way, it gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And actually, we get more and more frustrated. Because we're not we're, we're doing anything to avoid being in discomfort. And the comfort zone gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And our world gets smaller and smaller. As opposed to remembering why we're here and understanding life is a training ground and God allows us to be pushed a little bit at a time, right along the edges. That's where the growth occurs, just a little bit at a time on the edge of our comfort zone. And it actually expands. And we have greater comfort in a greater scope of territory as we do that. We've got to remember why we're here. This life is a a training ground. We're in advanced training. Sometimes we can get discouraged. You know, sometimes we can think, I've been walking this way of life for for X number of years. Put whatever whatever number of years you've been walking this way of life. Maybe it's decades. And, you know, by now I would have thought it would be easy. And it's not easy. In fact, some things that I'm facing today are harder than I faced before. And I feel guilty because it's like there's something wrong. If I have been walking this way for so many years, why am I feeling like it's getting harder? Well, brethren, if we're going through training, wouldn't it make sense that God would give us trials, allow trials to happen? Give us challenges that push us a little bit at a time. You know, when you're in ninth grade, if the teacher would say, okay, today we're going to give first grade math tests to everybody. You know, we're going to go back to uh, adding, you know, four plus two. And we'll see how you do on that. And and subtracting. We're even going to do some subtraction. That's a little more advanced. You know, six minus three. And uh, if things go well, we might even do some division. No, you don't do that, right? When you're in ninth grade, big deal if you can do a first grade test really, really well. So why is it, brethren, that sometimes we, we feel guilty that I've been walking this way of life and yet I'm struggling? It seems like I have my trials. I have harder times today than I did yesterday. Well... It's just our perspective because God is allowing us to face more difficult tests. When you're in ninth grade, you do ninth grade work, don't you? And it pushes you a little bit. Would it be any different in our spiritual life? We have to remember why we're here. We are here to train. We need God's mind. We have it through His Spirit. His Spirit is even called the oil of joy. Psalm 45, verse 7, uh, refers to it as the oil of gladness. The oil of gladness. You know, brethren, when we think about God and Christ, we think about where they are right now, what they're doing right now. Imagine them right now on their, the throne of God. Are they unhappy? Are they depressed? Are they frustrated? I don't think so. I'm sure they're going through all sorts of emotions as they see the suffering of this world. I'm sure they're not immune to that. They're not, you know, robots. But you don't get the sense that they wallow in unhappiness. Neither do they need a roller coaster adrenaline high every second. But they have a deep, settled contentment 
about them and where their plans are going and how it's working. And they take great pleasure in seeing it worked out. Luke 15, verse 10, said, There is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repents. Imagine the throne of God. Imagine the activity before the throne of God. You know, I'm sure there's a lot of activity, a lot of angels coming and going and reporting on what they're doing and and the Father and Christ and talking about their plans and looking down at what's happening here and and thinking about what is going to happen next and how they're going to work things out. Certainly there's a lot of disappointment about what human beings do, right? Um, But the backdrop mood is one of deep satisfaction and being pleased that the work is going forward, that lives are being changed, and sinners are repenting. You know, I, I think sometimes of the times when we would get together, my grandfather and uh, the families, big family reunion would get together, and we we all played instruments, so never fails toward the end of the evening. Grandpa would say, okay, everybody get out your instruments, and we're going to have all the kids play a, play a song. And he just loved watching his family. And he loved hearing the, the talk and hearing the laughter and hearing then the, the, the music that we were playing. And he just sat back and he loved to watch his children, his grandchildren. And the look on his face was so pleased. Brethren, what do you think the look on God's face is when he looks down at us? think he's pleased and happy with what he sees is happening in the lives of those who are walking this way. And we need to meditate on that and soak that up because all too often there's not a lot of joy in this world and it's getting even worse. But we can have access to Christ's joy If we ask for it, if we think about it, if we meditate on it, and it's right in our grasp. What's another area? What's another area of Christ's mind we can have? Well, let's talk about love. Let's talk about love. Number three, would you like to have more capacity to love others? Again, that's the wrong wording. Let me reword that. Instead, would you like to have not just more love, more capacity, but a different love? A better type of love. John chapter 15 and verse 9. John chapter 15 and verse 9. Jesus also spoke about this. John 15 verse 9. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. Live in my love. In in the way I think about you. The way I think about humanity The way I live, the way I am, abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, yes, the commandments are an expression of his love. You will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. You know, a lot of people say, I love you, but what do they really mean? Jesus was expressing his love for his disciples, and he was about to prove it with the ultimate sacrifice. And furthermore, he was showing, he was caring even at that moment, knowing the needs that they were having. This is way beyond human love. And this is the type of love we can tap into. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 1. Let's turn over there. You know, sometimes our love is, is tested. Sometimes we don't feel like loving one another. And certainly if we don't feel like loving one another, we don't need to, right? If you don't feel it, why would you express it? Well, that's human thinking. We need to think on a different plane. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 1. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, 
If any affection and mercy fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and one mind, let each... Uh, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. This is the goal. To think like he thinks. How do the Father and Jesus look at us? Do they love us you know even with this world even with everything that's going on they still provide for the birds and the beasts and keep the planet spinning every day and keep us from launching off into space you know they keep the laws of physics working they serve their creation every day all day long because they love us john 17 verse 20 notice John 17 and verse 20. Can we have Christ's love in us? Can we have God's love in us? Can we have tap into that at all? Absolutely. John 17 and verse, verse 20. Toward the end of his prayer, Jesus said, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. And then in verse 25, O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. And I have declared to them your name and will declare it, that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. God's love and Christ living in us. Brethren, how does God think about us? Does he look down at us with disgust and revulsion? Nothing in the Bible would even give the slightest hint of that. And yet sometimes even some of us can feel overly guilty that God won't forgive us and maybe we won't make it into God's kingdom because of this or that. And brethren, we need to meditate on this. Does God love us. Does God love you? Picture him on his throne. Again, imagine and think about what does the Bible say about God and his love? Is he pleased? Is he happy? We know he gave his son for the world, for the whole world, even while sinning, even while we were yet sinners, it says. He loved us so much that he gave us his son but does he love you what is your name some people have a hard time accepting that god could actually love them and brethren if if we have a hard time we need to ask for help we need to ask for god's help and meditate on that and think about it And try to see yourself through his eyes, not based on our own imagination, because that sometimes runs wild, but based on what the Bible says God thinks and what the Bible says he feels about his people and about those who are walking with him. We need to have that sense of God being for us and being there. You know, it says in 1 John 416, God is love. It's not just a metaphor. It doesn't mean he's he's not really a being. He doesn't mean he's just a, a feeling. What it means is love is the best way to sum up every way he thinks, everything he does, every motivation he has. And we can tap into that, and we can also be the recipients of that. How important is it that we have Christ's mind to sense and to have God's love? It's crucial. Last one we'll talk about is faith. Faith. Number four. In aspects of, of Christ's mind that we need to meditate to really understand and really inculcate into our lives. Let's turn over to Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. Galatians chapter 2. And verse 
20. Paul writes, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. There it is. We see it over and over again. That when we've been baptized and we've received the Spirit, Christ lives in us. That means every aspect of his mind we can have as we grow, as we walk with him. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith, it says, in, but should be of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Check it out in a... Bible help, check it out in a interlinear Bible. It's not in, it's of. You know, it's not a matter of just having enough human faith stacked up so that we attain to God. We need His faith in us. We need His faith in us. Our faith is not enough. Brethren, in what areas do you need Christ's faith in you? Some Brethren are going through very, very difficult health situations or a loved one going through something difficult. And you're going to get worn down. You can get troubled. You can get worried. And sometimes people even get nervous and worried because they're nervous and worried. And the cycle feeds on itself. And after all, the Bible says not to be fearful. That's lacking faith. But brethren, sometimes maybe it's it's not that we're nervous and worried, but that we're trying to do it on our own. And then we feel guilty that we're nervous and worried. We're trying to work up our own faith, and yet Christ says we need his faith. And maybe that's not real enough to us, and maybe we need to meditate on that and think about it and ask him for it. And have that in our mind, not that we work it up. It's Him in us. It's His faith. Now let me say this, you know, sometimes when dealing with severe anxiety, sometimes there are physical problems, sometimes there are chemical issues or hormonal problems that that should be dealt with and must not be overlooked. And sometimes a specific counseling can help a person work through and develop mechanisms to help them think through some of these issues and patterns, new and better patterns of thinking. Those can be very, very helpful, physical things. But ultimately, we need God's help to have his faith. Ultimately, we need God's mind. If you're overwhelmed, if you're struggling, ask yourself, have I forgotten to ask Christ to put his faith in me? And have I forgotten to think, what is he thinking right now about my problem? How does he think about it? And and what would he do if he were in my shoes? You can think, well, but he's God. <laughs> he, he can do anything. That's exactly the point. He is God. And he lives in us. Through his spirit. So we can tap into that power and that mind. And we need it. You know, we won't go there for lack of time, but it's interesting that in Second John chapter 1 and verse 6, this aspect of Christ coming in the flesh, in the present, is actually, the, the negation of that is actually a part of the doctrine of Antichrist. Isn't it interesting that that concept has such a target on it that Satan wants to destroy? And you can, you can read in, Dr. Meredith wrote in the booklet, Who or What is the Antichrist? He talks about that verse. And he says that the, the doctrine of the Antichrist is trying to do away with part of the doctrine, trying to do away with the concept that Christ is living in the Christian right now. How important is it that we understand and deeply meditate on Christ living in me and what that means in having peace, in having joy, in having love, in having faith. Not my faith, not just built up faith, not just stacked up human faith and love and peace, but Christ's faith. 
makes all the difference. All the difference. Luke chapter 17 and verse 3. Let's go over there for a moment. Luke 17 and verse 3. It's interesting that Jesus had this a conversation with his disciples about faith. And uh, first he said, verse uh, 3, Take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day... Seven times in a day returns to you, saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. The apostles, verse 5, said to the Lord, increase our faith. Do you think they might have even said that a little bit tongue-in-cheek, like, there's no way that we can do that. There's no way that we can forgive our, our, our neighbor seven times. In fact, because surely they didn't mean it if they had to do that seven times. So why would we... Why would we have to forgive them? And that's impossible. That's humanly impossible. Because we know what they're thinking, right? So they said, increase our faith. And the Lord said, verse 6, guys, you don't get it. It's not a matter of increasing your faith. Because if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. You don't need more faith. You need my faith. You don't need more faith. You need a different type of faith because this very tiny mustard seed, which is, as he says in other places, one of the smallest seeds and yet grows to a great herb. You need this, a, a if you want to quantify it, a tiny amount of my faith can do wonders can do awesome things, can change your life. Matthew 8 and verse 23. Matthew 8 and verse 23. They're in a boat. <clears throat> when he got into a boat, verse 23, his disciples followed him, and suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea so that the boat was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. And his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we're perishing. Now stop a moment and think. A good percentage of these disciples were fishermen. Was this just a little rocking and rolling on the, on the sea? I think they were fairly used to being on the water. They had been through a lot of storms, I think. This must have been pretty bad. This must have been terrifying. They were fishermen, <laughs> and they thought they were going to die. They lived on the water, some of them, not all of them. And he was asleep. And he said to them, verse 26, Why are you fearful, O you of little faith? Wow, what is this saying? Again, let's look at it through Christ's eyes. The, to understand this, you have to look at it through his perspective. He was saying, look, it's not out of control. They thought it was out of control. They thought everything was out of control. And he said, it's not out of control at all. It's totally under control. You have what it said, describes it as little faith. The wrong faith, actually. And he brought it under control. He arose, rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. So the men marveled, saying, Who can this be that even the winds and the sea obey him? Brethren, who is it that we serve? Who is the one who is willing to live in us? Who is the one who is willing to put his mind in us? And give his faith, his faith to us. Do we ever feel like our situation is out of control? Let's look at it through Christ's eyes. Not that he's quick to criticize us, but he may say, Oh, you have little faith. Why are you fearful? Don't you understand who I am? Don't you understand who is living in you? And don't you understand what access you have? 
What's the point? Our thoughts are not good enough. We need God's thoughts. We need God's ways. Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 6. Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 6. This is a familiar passage. It says in verse 6, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God and he will abundantly pardon. Now, you know, we think of the wicked as being wicked. You know, they're, they're really bad people. But let's put ourselves in this. I think there are times when we need to forsake our thoughts, don't we? We need to forsake our way. And we need new thoughts. We need different thoughts, a different mind. Verse 8, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. But we have access to those thoughts, brethren. And those thoughts can become our thoughts. And that's the whole point. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. It doesn't come through our own efforts. Verse 11. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. As Mr. Armstrong used to say over and over again, we have to have God's spirit to understand spiritual things. We cannot understand by the natural man. But God's given us his spirit. Verse 15. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. How powerful is that? And yet, brethren, are we really taking advantage of it? Or does it just become words? Are we really meditating on what that means? And is it really changing our life, especially when we desperately need God, Christ, to live his life in us and put those thoughts in us? Let's turn to John chapter 15 and verse 1 as we wrap up here. John chapter 15 and verse 1. This life is a training process, as we talked about before. He says, verse 1, I am the true vine. My Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, He prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Verse 4, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him. This concept is all over the New Testament. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Brethren, we cannot do it on our own. And if we ever feel like we just can't do it anymore, we need to turn to this scripture and understand the power that Christ is offering us. Without him, we can do nothing. And that's the point. We look to him. We meditate on his mind. We meditate on what he thinks and the power he has and how he wants us to think. Verse 7, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. 
Brethren, we have to put his words in us. We have to fill our minds with his words, but not just reading the, the characters, not just checking it off the list, actually thinking about what he says and having the mind of Christ. Having access to Christ's mind is one of the greatest blessings we could possibly have in the entire universe. And that's not overstated. We need to think about what he's really saying in these words, how he thinks. We have to imagine and visualize that he's there because he is there and he's willing and the Father. They love us. They gave everything for us. And they will do everything to get us into their kingdom. And we have to let him direct our thoughts and our life. And that is taking on the mind of Christ.